And once again, the church said, amen. amen and amen. Love that singing today, man. That, that uh, song that we sang earlier, Lord, I Need You, I just, I just fell in love with that song the first time I heard it, and I'm so thankful we're singing it. It's just, all of them are great, but man, I just, just touched by that today. Thank you so much. Uh, Kyle, thank you for being here today. Uh, I, I, I failed to mention, I apologize for that, but we, we have a, a new arrival within the family as well. This would be Lauren and Jonathan Timms and little Vivian are here today, born last Sunday morning. So, you know, of course, Jonathan's first, so if there's a glow over there, you know what that means. But give him about six months, right? Congratulations. <laughs> a, little boy came, a little boy came to the Washington Monument. And he noticed a guard standing by it, and he looked up at the guard, and he simply said, I want to buy it. How much? Well, how much do you have, the guard said. Thirty-five cents. Well, son, you need to understand three things. First of all, you need to understand that 35 cents is not enough to buy the monument. In fact, young man, $35 million couldn't buy this monument. Secondly, you need to know that the monument, it's not for sale. But thirdly, son, you need to know if you are a citizen of the United States, it already belongs to you. I think on our journey together, there are many things that we need to come to understand. David talked about this in his Bible class today, and we were talking about this spiritual growth, this, this growing up in the Lord and moving from one area to another, but not forgetting the first, and all of those things. But I think that in our spiritual walk, there are many things we need to come to understand, but in the setting for this story, I think it would be, we need to understand that, number one, all of the money in the world cannot buy us the spiritual blessings that God wants us to have. And secondly, we need to always understand that spiritual blessings are not for sale. And thirdly, and the greatest of that, would I would say is this, if you are a child of God, all the spiritual blessings are already available for you to have. That's good news. Give me an amen. Amen. <clears throat> Now we'll start with the scripture. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah replied to her, Well, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each are filled, put them to the side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought her the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and 
he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left. It's always interested me, interest me that through Scripture as you read that, there's particular individuals in their walk with God or their journey with God, good or bad, that some of those particular individuals are given great links to tell their story. If you look at the story of Joseph, for instance, would be one. Another would probably be Abraham, of course. If you look at the book of Job or you look at Job himself, he's, lend, he's given some 42 chapters to tell his story, his walk with God. It's an amazing story. And in all of that, yet in some cases, like if you move to John in the New Testament, you move to John chapter 8 where the Pharisees caught this woman in adultery and brought her to Jesus and wanted him to condemn her, which he, he did not. Her name is not even mentioned in Scripture. Always fascinated me by the ones that make it, the ones that made it in the Scripture with no names, or the ones that made it in with a great deal and with their names mentioned. And how many have been missed? How many more stories of millions upon millions of people that had encounters with God and throughout their lives that could have been recorded but they weren't? How about yours? Is there a mention of you? Will there be a mention of you and your story, your journey, the journey that you are on, the walk that you're taking with God? Will your journey be mentioned to the next generation? Will your name be mentioned? Will there be chapters written about you and your journey with God, good or bad? Or will it just be maybe a mention but no name? There was a person. I've often wondered that about myself. What will be mentioned? And how long it will take to disappear? In these, and I want to share with us today the story that's tucked away here in this scripture, 2 Kings chapter 4. A person can read these seven verses as I have in just a minute or so and really take nothing from it other than just it's a nice to read and put the book on the stand and fall asleep. Or a person can take those seven simple verses that are tucked away, but they're there for a reason, and really learn from that and receive what it is, powerful life lessons in their journey with God. How does that happen for us? Well, life lessons are learned. We learn them on our journey together, no matter where you're at on this journey with God. The new beginning of those that were up here early and received their certificates and, and, and that. But the journey begins, and as we go through there, life lessons are learned, Christian or non-Christian, but as Christians, there's life lessons learned. And life lessons are those learned when you search for them, not to find yourself correct, but when you find yourself correct, it feels pretty good to know that when you look at God's Word and you find something in there that you're doing just right or you thought was just right and God agreed with you. But the truth is, life lessons are learned when you search them not to find yourself correct or in the eyes of the world, of course not, but challenged when you find that challenged for you to change. For you to change. 
to change what is necessary in your life so that your walk with God will be what God wants that walk to be. You ever want somebody real close to you that's not here, that wasn't there? Military families, you can relate with this, and when we go off to war or we go off overseas or we're TDY or whatever the case might be, and we're separated from that. You long for that individual to be there. Loved ones that pass on and have gone on, we long for them to be there. God longs to be with us on our journey. Do we long to be with Him, I guess, is the question. Do we really long for that in our lives? So let's take a look at this story, these seven verses today, and see what we might learn and go from there. I first want you to know what the trouble was for this woman. You see, the trouble that this woman had is she had a debt. She had a debt that she could not pay, and it was collection time. How in the world does that relate with us? How does that give us a life lesson? Well, the truth is we have a debt that we cannot pay either. It's impossible in and of ourselves to pay the debt that we have because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin has a price, and that price is death, period, separation from God. So we're all sunk. You might say, well, wait a minute, you know, um, I don't have a debt. My my debt is, you know, I'm really debt-free as far as material stuff in this world. Thank you very much. I have a good retirement. I have great plans with my money, and I invested it well, and now I'm retired, and I'm just eat, drinking, and being merry, and thank you very much. Well, the truth is, you still have a debt. doesn't matter what, how much money you might have. It's a debt that we cannot pay in and of ourselves again. It can't be paid with money. It can't be paid with good works. It can't be paid with just being nice to people. Good works are wonderful. Do good works. Be nice to people. We should be nice to people. Giving money, our time, energy, money is important, but it can't pay the debt. You can take 10,000 people, great people, good people, people that you would pick out of a crowd of all the people that ever lived on planet Earth, take 10,000 people and great people, individuals, and find their very greatest moment of their life and put all those minutes together, which would have 10,000 minutes, can't buy you one minute in heaven. You're sunk. You have a debt that you cannot pay. It cannot be found, search the world over, it cannot be found, except through Jesus Christ. Give me an amen. Now we know that. The world wants you to not know that. Remember last week when we talked about Jesus, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. The world wants that verse removed. They don't like you to read that verse. You see, all the world wants you to do is remove Jesus because if you remove Jesus, we're all equal in their minds because all people serve a God. All people believe in God. Oh, maybe not the God with a big G, but God with a little G, they all believe. And so therefore, if we can remove Jesus from the equation, therefore we become equal and in my mind, in your mind, everybody's the same when we're like, Rover, we're dead, we're dead all over, we all get to go to that place. But it's not the case. And that's why from the beginning of time, even when Jesus came, they wanted, to, they wanted to kill Jesus because they wanted to do away with what he was here to do. 
And they thought precisely that is exactly what happened when they hung him on a cross. It is finished. Ha-ha. Yes, we got him. We finally nailed him to a cross. And little did they know they were playing right into the hands of God himself, a redeemer that stretched his arms out and died willingly for you and for me. Hallelujah. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Muhammad can't do that. He's dead. Jesus, He's alive. In Colossians chapter 2, if you notice there, and I use the Living Bible translation here, read it from King James or whatever you like, I suppose, but for in baptism... You see how your old evil nature died with him and was buried with him. And then you came up out of death with him into a new life. Because you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. Give me an amen. And he finishes there in verse number 14, just the last part. He says, he took this list of our sins, our sins, and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Oh, and we are redeemed people. Give me an amen. Back to the story. The wife of this man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. My husband's dead. He revered God. And now they're going to take my two sons. The creditor is. Elijah then said, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? It's interesting here in this particular story how it unfolds here. Elisha did not say, how much does he owe? Did you notice that? How much does he owe? I'll tell you what, ma'am, how much does he owe? The, together, I'm sure we can put together something here. I mean, I've got a few dollars in my pocket. We can just pass the plate. We surely can raise up enough. Let's just do a GoFundMe page right here, right now. But he didn't. She told him what the problem was. How can I help you? I already told you what the problem was. The problem is my husband's dead and this guy's coming to take my two sons. Zero income. I will have nothing. Not only is my heart going to be broken because my husband is dead, but my heart's going to be broken because I can no longer be with my sons and I have nothing. Oh my. So Elisha comes back and he says, what do you have in your house? That's kind of a strange thing to ask, I think. What do you have in your house? Did you get some new furniture from, I don't know, wherever you get new furniture from? You get that new refrigerator and, and, and stove and microwave and all that new, that whole set that you can get at Lowe's? Did you, did you get that? So maybe we can just have an auction here. Maybe we'll just sell everything inside of your house and we can do that for you. What do you have inside of your house? She said, huh, I don't have anything. I find this next little statement, I, I don't know how it's said. You know, we read it. So you can read it as you can put the emphasis where you like to put them in the Scripture. But I read it something like this. This is how I read it sometimes. Not all the time when I read it. But I read it like this. Your servant has nothing there at all. Oh, except I got a little bit of oil. Like, what can you do with that? Because if all of you had in your house was a three-ounce bottle of oil, what would you have? I already told you I have nothing. Oh my. Nothing. What about nothing for us? Notice the first thing that she said, I have nothing at all. But then she said, oh, just a minute, I have something. 
Why is that important for us? How does that connect with us? How can one make that connect? Once again, please understand that God takes whatever you have and builds upon that. What you think is absolutely nothing, God says, I can take and make something out of it. And God is going to prove himself once again, God, in all of this, you have nothing when you don't have God. But if you have faith, you have more than enough for God to do miraculous things with. When you don't have faith, you have nothing. When you have faith, you got all you need. How do we know that? I'm not sure if I read this somewhere or if I was just brilliant one night and had spaghetti and I got up and wrote this down. Faith is perhaps the smallest thing that we possess in our life. Do you know that? And we are the ones that distribute our faith out as we choose, not as God chooses, but as we choose, we distribute on our journey our faith out. So it is perhaps the smallest thing one possesses, but perhaps it is the largest resource that anyone can have. Why? Because it connects you with God and God owns it all, and He distributes it the way He chooses to do it. That's how good God is. That's how wonderful God has blessed us on our journey. Never underestimate something that you have that seems to be nothing to you at all. This woman said, I have nothing except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah, once again, did not come back and simply say, well, why don't you go borrow some things from your neighbors? That sounds pretty good. Back in the day when I grew up, it was very common for somebody to go next door and borrow a cup of... There you go. All you millennials out there, you just type it in and go pick it up in the parking lot at Walmart. Back in the day, you didn't do that. Uh, excuse me, Miss Smith. God, I need some, uh, my, my mom said, she needs some sugar? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what my mom said. And that was just something we did, wasn't it? For all of us 60 and older, say yes. Please help me out here. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Oh, my goodness. He is brilliant. Go ask for empty jars. Uh, Mrs. Smith, my mom wanted me to come over and borrow an empty jar. Does that make sense to you? Doesn't make sense at all to me. He says, don't just ask for a few. We'll get to that one. Elijah sends her on a faith journey. How does that relate with us? God sends us on a faith journey. This whole thing we're on is a faith journey. It all deals upon our faith. We're all in Christ Jesus. If we've accepted Christ and been buried with Him, we are His children. We are saved because of what He did for us. Give me an amen. Now we are on and continue on a faith journey with each other, have differences and lights and stuff. I want to stop here. No, I want to stop there. But it's a faith journey that we're on. Could you imagine the conversation that she's having with her boys going door to door trying to collect empty bottles? 
He didn't say borrow some oil. He said get some empty. Now, I don't know about you, but if I only have three ounces of oil, and he's saying get empty bottles, empty plus empty basically equals empty. But that's exactly what he tells her, because it's not a misprint. When I was a kid, we used to take, and I used to take my, this was when I was probably seven years old, riding a bike, and we lived out in the country, and our parents would let us ride our bikes up to what we call the yellow poles, about a mile and a half from our house, and back down and then up the other way and back down and around. And I would take my, uh, my bicycle and I, you know, with a banana seat on it, and I would take that bicycle and I would tie my little red wagon or whatever neck uh, on the back, and I would pull it along that road. And I'd pull along that road, and what I discovered was that the people that came along that thought something was nothing, they were throwaways, I discovered the value in something. Anybody with me at all? Got a few. The millennials are still saying, huh? Just kidding. Picking on you today. But what I would do is I would go around the ditch lines and I would look for pop bottles and beer bottles because that meant something to me. And what it meant to me is it had value. It meant an ice cream bar. It meant a candy bar. It meant a popsicle. It meant something to me of value. What other people thought were throwaways, I discovered the value in. Now, to me, the key portion of verse number three is the last six words that Elisha says to this woman, don't take or don't ask for just a few. See, that could have, that, that could have just not been there. Let's go to your neighbors and find some jars. It, it, it's almost he's given her a hint. Do you almost feel that? Because she knows he's a man of God. Her husband served him. Her husband may have told her all the things that Elijah was doing. And there was a lot of things he was doing. And so he's almost, it's a hint, it's like to saying, listen, the more you get, the more you're going to get. So don't just get a few. Get a bunch. Go for it. Always remember what is considered throwaways by people have value to God. I have so many stories of people that felt like they were not valued at all. I used to go into the prison down in Wichita Falls, uh, the, the juvenile aspect of that, and I remember teaching a Bible class down there, and I was the only one they let in to teach the Bible class. Why? I don't know. But I would go every Sunday afternoon, and I would teach this. They had, a, they, they, they had an option. They could either, you know, go polish shoes or come and listen to this short guy. So they all came, or many of them did, I will say. There was one little black girl there, and she was, a, she was sweet, but she was real introvert. She was real pulled in. You could just see something was wrong. And I would always talk about Jesus and the value that God had a purpose for your life, and he loves you, and Jesus loves you, and he gave his life for you, and I always would connect with that. And one day while we were on break, I'll never forget out in the little area where we'd take a break and they'd give us a soda, cookies or whatever, and and, and I sat next to her because I knew she was broken. And, and I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, something to the effect is this Jesus that you talk about and his love, I don't think he could love anybody like me. I said, well, why is that, sweetheart? Why do you feel that way? She said, you see, when I was nine years old, I was raped by my daddy. But he wasn't my real daddy. 
And then my mom had moved in with another man, and he raped me too. And that happened for several years. In fact, even my own brothers raped me. In fact, what I began to do and I thought was natural for me to do is if someone was going to love me, I just had to give myself to them. And so I gave myself to a lot of people. I don't think God could love me. If that doesn't break your heart, sitting across from somebody like that, I don't know what will. I told her that God did love her and that Jesus did die precisely for her. We talked about some women in the Scripture how they were used and how they were misused and portrayed. But God loved them. And if God loved them, he can love you. I don't know if she ever gave her life to the Lord. I don't know if she's still living today. I just pray that she is, and I just pray that she's found that love in Jesus Christ. Man, I got way off track, but God is good. One more important thing in this particular area of the Scripture there before we move on. In James chapter 1, and again, reading from that in, in class last several weeks. But notice what it says there. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. This is key in life. Why is that important? They did what they were told to do. They went and got the jars. Many people read God's word, listen to God's word, listen to a preacher, listen to someone on the radio, listen to it. And they even can come to church and even shout amen. But when they leave, it has no impact in their life. They hear it, but they never make the adjustments to do what God would have them to do. Where are you at in all of that? It's an important question. Verse 4, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and each of them, as they are filled, put them to the side. In verse number 4 here, Elijah is telling her what to expect. When they're full, put them to the side. He's telling her what to expect. Did you know that God tells us oftentimes in His commands for us what to expect at the end if we do what we are supposed to do? Sure He does. It's a powerful thing. If you were this woman, would you have had enough faith to go throughout the neighborhood to ask for the jars, go into your house with three ounces, let's just say three ounces of olive oil, and begin to pour it into hundreds of empty jars? Would you have had enough faith to do that? Again, it makes no sense. If I take three ounces out of this jar, and I have a 20-ounce jar over here, and I pour that three ounces in that jar, that jar is going to have three ounces, and this jar is going to have nothing. makes absolutely no sense. Does it make sense to you? Would you have done that? Oh, yeah, that sounds great, Elijah. No. It doesn't make sense. But what is faith? doesn't make sense. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. What she had hoped for was what? Bottles, bottles, bottles of oil. What she saw was three ounces. But she saw through what she saw, and she saw and believed that God could do anything. Do you? Is the question. We often read the end of the story. This is what we do in Scripture. We often read the end of the story, and I don't know about you, but I find myself in characters throughout the Bible. I do that in movies, but I also do that in Scripture. If the guy's a good guy, that's me. Guy, guy, I'm not him. Anybody? If it, if it ends the way I think it ought to end, I'm that guy. And I say, like, for instance, if David. David goes out and whips this big giant. I would have done that. Anybody out there? 
I would have done that. Everybody else would have been chickened out. I wouldn't have gone out there. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that'd have been it. I could, that's me. Anybody? That's what we do. Yeah, right. God is telling you this. Watch. I'll show you how it works. There's someone probably listening to my voice today, and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted Him through faith. You've never surrendered to Him, and you've never been obedient in baptism. You just haven't done it. And you know that Scripture tells you plainly, if you do what God tells you to do, salvation is yours. Last week we read this one verse, in particular in Mark 16, whoever believes in me and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You condemn yourself already. You condemn yourself by not believing, not by not being baptized. Because it has to start with the belief. If it doesn't start with a belief, you can, get a, you can live in the water. It doesn't do it. It has to start with a belief. Then you follow through with obedience because that's what God said to do. And yet people will leave, hear this, and they will go on their way and not surrender to God. Why? In verse number 5, they hand the mother the first empty jar, and apparently she poured the small amount of oil. And I'm in this room right now. Can you see her in the room? Her sons are there. The doors are shut, if you will. And there they are, and we're going to get this thing started. Give me that bottle. I got this bottle. Here's three ounces of oil. And I begin to pour it in that bottle. And I'm watching it. I think all eyes are on this bottle because it's going from here all the way to the very top. I think it is, I think it is silent in that room. And I'm thinking as she's pouring that in there, and she moves this one back, and this one only still has three ounces in it. I'm thinking she's looking, and they're looking at this bottle, stunned at the amazement of something that just happened before their very eyes. And I think out of the silence may have been something like this. Quick, give me another bottle. Give me another bottle, quick. And so they hand her another one, and she pours Three ounces, 20 ounces. She pours three ounces, 20 ounces. She pours three ounces. Another, 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 another. You say, oh, yeah, right. How do you know that? The debt was so large that her sons were going to be taken away. Each filled to the top. Scripture says for us, Ephesians 3. Now here's to him who is able to, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Give me an amen. More than you can ask or imagine, Scripture says. How can that possibly be? Because what is at work within us is God, no longer ourself. This lady wasn't doing that. God was doing that. Elijah wasn't doing that. God was doing that. And God is doing a new thing in us. God never runs out, never runs low, and never runs behind because He's God in your life as well. He's trying to tell you perhaps today, have you poured any oil lately? Have you collected any empty jars lately? Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, 
Bring me another one. Mom? <laughs> Mom? There, there, there isn't anymore. We've looked all over the house. Look in the bedroom, look in the kitchen, look in the pantry, look on the back porch, look everywhere in the bathroom. They're all full. We don't have any more empty jars. The oil stopped flowing. Notice what it did not say. It did not say that there was no more oil. Of course not. Because if there was no more oil, you would say that God was finished. God was just beginning. God was just getting started with their life. We don't know anything else about these people. But I got a feeling if I'm that lady, there's a story to tell. Give me an amen. And somewhere down all the way through history, you know, you go back and you do the 27 and me or whatever it is now, and you go way back there and you find out perhaps some of us even today are here today because of this woman's faith. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to go back that far and say, yeah, that was my aunt, great, 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 a hundred more greats aunt. Wouldn't that be great? 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 Did I say great enough? It would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right. It didn't stop. It stopped flowing. It didn't mean there was no more oil. There was plenty more. They just didn't have any more empty jars. Hmm. This tells me the larger I make my vessel, the larger the more I open myself up to what God has for me, the more God will fill me. Not because I love Him more, and certainly not because He loves me more now, but because I've allowed myself to open myself up to receive all that God has for my life on this journey with Him together. Verse 7, we're finished. Go sell all the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I think you can make a great movie out of this particular seven verses. I really do. It's a script. It's waiting to be written. Notice the end result. They had more than enough to pay the debts and plenty for them to live on. The scripture says, God wants to take care of you, my friend, on this journey together. All he is asking for us to do is have faith and walk in obedience. Just to have faith and walk in obedience. God wants to bless you, my friend. Please understand that. If you will give Him what you have in your heart, no matter how empty you might think you are, just like that young lady that I talked about earlier, I believe that He will show you as well what is in store for you when you do what He asked you to do. Are you empty? Do you think you have nothing? Do you think that you have nothing left to offer? If you do, you're in the perfect spot for God to fill. Why wait? If you're lost, God wants to fill you up with salvation. If you're hurting, God wants to heal you and walk with you in that hurt. If you're hurting because of some unforgiveness in your heart, God longs to heal that. Or someone that somebody's done to you and hurt you so bad that you are unwilling to forgive. God's saying, if you'll just open that up and let that fly out, I will show you what will fly in. So right now, we're going to offer a song just for you. You come, we pray with you, we will not judge you. 
We will love you as Jesus loves you. God bless you. You come together as we stand and sing.